we go with the latest SBL shoot around. We take a look at everything from the men's competition with a man who's created a remarkable coaching legacy after a 200-game playing career. Ben Etridge joins Chris Wright to bring you another men's SBL shoot around. Hello and welcome to our second episode here of Men's SBL Shootaround. We made it through our first show, back here for a second. Hopefully you're all tuned in for what we gave you last week and hopefully if you're back again, you're looking forward to what we can bring you. We'll have our first ever guest here on the show this week and we couldn't have gone any higher. One of the all-time greats of the SBL competition. I'll let my co-host introduce who it is, but I'm Chris Pike, your other co-host, but the man that made all of the, the headlines out of our first show, Ben Etridge. Thanks for joining me once again. Oh, thanks for having me back. Obviously, I did, a, did an all right job. It's nice to actually keep a job in this climate. So, um, yeah, happy to be talking basketball and uh, yeah, ready for round two. Now, very special guest. You were our in-depth chat that we had had for the first show. Who have we got lined up for this week and how excited are you to talk to this man? Oh, look, this guy is one of the uh, absolute legends of the SBL. Um, came out here in the early 90s and, and really set us on fire. And that, that man is, is James Fitch, the, the holder of four four SBL championships and three grand final MVPs. Uh, I don't think anyone has a better resume of success in the league when we talk about um, the, one of the all-time greats. Um, James certainly sits uh, up pretty close to the top of the tree. Absolutely. Remarkable career of the Southwest Slammers. 315 games, like you said, four championships, three times grand final MVP. And once he got to Bunbury in 1990, he never left. Played until until 2001 and he's still there now, 19 years later. So can't wait to catch up with him. But plenty more to talk about this week too on SBL Shootaround, Ben. And plenty of feedback from last week's show, which we'll get to. And we'll read through some of those messages and, and comments that we got from, from our listeners. We'll talk a bit more about possible action we might still see on the court this year in terms of senior basketball. We'll have a look at how some of the teams were shaping up for this season. And of course, as you finished off last week's show, we'll take a look at our top five basketball movies of all time. But before we go any further, what what was some of the feedback you received from last week's show? And obviously, if you're back again, nobody, nobody put the hit out on you just yet. No, I think it was uh, it was great. As I said, it's just nice to be talking basketball and opening up a few topics and um, generating that discussion. And I think, if anything, for me, the the feedback was you know far and far and wide. I had um, former imports contacting me and giving me their their top fives and so on and so forth. And mm-hmm. a few mates that I hadn't caught up with for a while that I didn't know would listen to the listen to it. Um, dropped me a line and said good day. So again, in in the current current climate that we're in, it's just nice to be talking basketball and and maybe taking our minds to something that we, we enjoy uh, rather than just sort of sitting in our home waiting for things to open up. Yeah, absolutely. Anyone surprised you that you did hear from? Anyone that listened and got in touch with you that you might not have been expecting? Yeah, look, one of them was one of my old high school buddies, uh, Prev Chandran, who's, uh, who's a hoops junkie, um, probably mm-hmm. the king of the playgrounds here in, um, in WA, played a lot of pickup basketball, a lot of social rec leagues, and, um, he was very quick to jump on and, and let me know he'd had a listen and was, was going to get through his, um, get through his top five. So someone like that was just great, mm-hmm. great to reconnect with him. And then, um, yeah, a few of the usual suspects, um, got back to me pretty quickly. And Mark Utley, uh, former SBL personality mm-hmm. of the year was very quick to, uh, to jump in with his top five movies as well. So it was good to hear from Mark. Yeah, he was. I'll read out the message we got from Mark later on in the show as well. When we, we talk about our basketball movies, it opened my mind up. It, it opened my eyes to, to I guess, 
extend my horizons a little bit and watch watch a couple more basketball movies this week. So I'm looking forward to seeing seeing what you think and seeing how our list match up. I found it incredibly difficult to get it down to a top five and having a look at the top 25 that you've put together, I can only imagine how tough it was to get to your top five, which we'll reveal later on. Look forward to it. Um, now, this SBL season 2020... We're a week on now. We mentioned last week a couple of options that there might be to still start something up. Maybe, maybe come August. Maybe, maybe, maybe we can have some sort of an announcement on July and teams, teams in some form can start to get ready to play something in August or September, whether or not it's a an officially sanctioned SBL competition through BWA or if it's something separate. I think there's a few different things on the table right now. A week on from our first discussion about it, what have you heard about what sort of action we might see in 2020 still? Well, yeah, look, I, again, there was a, a bit of talk about that from, from week one and spoke to a, a few people around the place, different coaches, different players that are sort of you know, actively involved in a few things that are going on. And look, the, the hopes are high that there's something going to be happening in a, in a month's time when things start to open up. Um, I know majority of the teams are very keen. There's still a couple of teams that are sort of sort of weighing up whether it's financially viable or can they put the cattle on the court that's going to make it um, make them competitive. So look, I think everyone's still positive that something in some shape is going to happen. Whether it's a, a 10-week half season playing everyone once with a with a final series tacked onto the end, you know that's the sort of thing that seems to be popping up the most. So look, any basketball is going to be good basketball. I think one thing is is certain that we we probably won't see imports in the league. Just given the, the borders yep. staying shut. Um, although I know there's a bit of conjecture about a couple of imports that stayed out during the um, during the lockdown. So mm. uh, whether they're still available or not, you know, just to make it a level playing field for, for all the teams. Um, but yeah, look, uh, it seems to be very positive around the place. There seems to have been lots of discussions happening with the SBL executive and, and the clubs. And again, there's just a couple of minor things that I think they need to iron out. And they'll be, they'll be letting us know that we'll have some um, basketball being played um, in the next month or six weeks or so. Randy Meagle on our women's women's SBL show raised the prospect of potentially not having clubs necessarily compete under their their club banner, but we might have the prospect of players playing for different teams, and it might give the chance for guys that you know say say guys from Joondal up to have the rare chance to play with guys from the Senators, and we might be able to have a, some sort of a, a mismatch of teams and and different types of, of teams play together just for a, some sort of a short tournament like we might have and it's not an officially sanctioned sort of BWA event like the SBL. Is that something you would be on board? Is that something you've heard anything about? Oh, look, again, there's a few things that have been been thrown around and like I say, if we're, if we're going to call it State Basketball League or NBL 1 or West Coast Classic or whatever, I think, you know, at the mm. end of the day, people want to play basketball and we can play basketball, then we'll get it done and um, you know, hopefully, you know, the, we could play as our clubs. Um, that would be, you know, again, that's the essence of what we've been doing since 1988, I guess, um, mm-hmm. to sort of go away from that. Me, as a as a sort of a long-time uh, purist of the game, if you will, that loves the history of the game and loves all those sorts of things, I sort of feel if we, we sort of threw everyone into the mix and, and mixed everyone up and made it a, like a, a glorified summer league, then, yeah, look, yeah. you know, it's basketball, um, but what are we really playing for? Is there going to be a, a trophy at the end? Is there going to be a grand final series like what are we actually playing it for so I think having those clubs there um, as the as the, what we're playing for that puts a little bit more pride in what we're doing guys perhaps take it a little bit more seriously if they're playing for their regular club so yeah look Again, I want to see basketball. I'd love there for there to be competition and guys being able to get out there and play you know if it took on that other format oh look yeah 
is it is it what we're all looking for? Is it filling a void? Yes, but is it is it the SBL or NBL one as we're heading towards? Yeah, maybe not. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, look, any basketball is going to be good basketball. For sure. Before we get to James Feach on on SBL shoot around, Ben, whatever format the the season ends up taking, any chance you'll be involved in some fashion? Uh, I'm pretty sure our podcast is going to run and we're going to be uh, getting out to games and having a look. So at this stage, it'll be trying to get around and get a few interviews. But yeah, look, you never say never. I was having a conversation with someone today um, about, you know, you, ne- you never burn a bridge because you never know when you're going to have to walk back across it. So look, if uh, if an opportunity came up, you, you'll always look at things and make sure they're the right fit. But yeah, as we said last week, very happy what I'm doing right now. Yep. But if something did come up, it would have to be a, a pretty good fit to, to get me off the couch uh, for this year anyway. Absolutely. Well, I don't I don't want to lose you from this just yet either. So whatever you do, make sure that you factor, factor this into it. Um, now, let's get to James Fitch, our first ever interview on SBR Shootaround. And he's an absolute legend. As I said, as I said before, came to Bunbury in 1990, played out his whole, whole career, 315 games up until the end of 2001. Along the way, four championships, three times grand final MVP. And, and some of his numbers are just absolutely unbelievable. And by the end of his career, he still averaged 27.9 points a game, 10.5 rebounds, 3.2 assists, 3.2 steals, a block. He shot at 52.6% from the field, 38.7% from three-point range. An absolute unstoppable beast when he was going, and throughout most of those 315 games, he was well and truly going. Somebody that you looked up to, Ben, you used to love watching him when you were a teenager, and then you actually got to play against him a little bit as well. Tell me what sort of a player James Fitch was. Oh, look, James was uh, the, the ultimate professional, and when you when you would drive down either to watch watch James play you know, down in Bunbury, there'd be 1,500, 2,000 people in the stands and he, he knew how to work that crowd. He knew what he needed to do to get them up and about. He knew what he needed to get his teammates up and about. And I think most importantly, he knew what he needed to do and you always got 100%. I don't think he ever stepped on the floor, and, and as you can see by his career stats, still averaged 27 and a half, um, probably well after his prime um, was mm-hmm. was done. Um, but yeah, just a, an ultimate competitor, and and someone that I've always enjoyed catching up with and going up and then shaking his hand and, and letting him know that yeah, he's a, he's an absolute legend, and and I admired his game extremely. Can't wait to hear more from him. So let's get straight to it now. Our chat with James Fitch. Okay, welcome back here to SBL Shoot Around and our first ever ever special guest here on the show, our, our second episode, Ben, and, and it's, it's hard to imagine us getting 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 anyone better. He's a, had a remarkable record since he came to the Southwest Slammers. You know, four championships, three times a grand final MVP. Some of his numbers are just just remarkable, and he's still living in Bunbury now. So I mean, it's just a, an honour for us here on SBL Shoot Around to welcome James Fitch to the show. James, how do we find you this evening? Yeah, good, guys. Thank you, and uh, hey, happy to be on the show. Over to you, Ben. Oh, that's excellent. Um, yeah, look, for me, James, uh, when Chris and I sat down and had a chat, I, I gave him a list, and uh, your name was pretty much at the top of that list as the first person I thought would uh, be fitting for us to um, to interview, given the, the championship pedigree and, and everything you, you did for the, for the State Basketball League back in those sort of formative years, and, and essentially setting up that first dynasty that... Uh, sort of ran rampant through the league in the mid-90s. So, yeah, thanks for coming on board. No, no, thanks for that. It's, it's a pleasure, you know. Um, I never, I always wanted to be remembered when I played. It's just 
known for being a hard player, you know, playing every last second of the minute of the game. And, yeah, that's all I wanted to ever do. But when we trace right back, James, could have you ever imagined when you first decided to come out to Western Australia, down to Bunbury in 1990, that we'd be looking back 30 years later and you're still calling it home? I, you know, a lot of people have been asking me that question, you know, um, because I do construction work and a lot of people come to me and say, how in the hell did you manage to stay in Bunbury? And I tell everybody, I said, you know, the thing was for me, I came to Bunbury. I never grew up here. And when I came, it was just like a little small town. And the people to me were so friendly and welcoming, you know, and having the players at that time of the caliber they were. I mean, it wasn't just all about basketball. It was about making good friendships as well. And that really sold on me. And at that time, then I met my wife probably, what is that, probably a couple of months after being here. And you know, having her here made it even more comfortable and, yeah, just made it so good that I comfortable stay. Mm. Yeah, that's, uh, that, that, that's just an amazing story, yeah. Mm. I mean, the, the um, basketball side for of me, it though, was one thing, but what was what was life like? You grew up in a, a pretty small town in rural rural Mississippi. You go to Idaho University, and then I guess you you try to make a career out of basketball. What was life like compared to what you were used to growing up to then what you experienced once you got to, to Bunbury? Well, grow, growing up in Mississippi, I mean, you're just a little country boy over there doing something that you truly enjoy. And I mean, for me, going to play basketball at this place where we call this schoolhouse, I mean, we never played against guys our own age. We always played against guys who were probably the five or six years older than us. And I tell people, when you can actually go out there and play decent with those older guys and you get that experience and that comfortable amongst those guys that once they recognize you can play, um, trust me, your confidence go through the roof. And for a young fellow like myself, that's what happened. And when I started to play against guys my own age, it was I was able to start helping myself uh, probably dominate a little bit, you know, and with that grew confidence and it just kept going. So when you say you were, that was, that, that was your start to basketball, who was the person that sort of introduced you to the game? Was there a specific person that you would say, this is the one, this is the person that set me on the way to, to, to basketball being a, a way of life for me? Well, I'll, t- I'll tell you, I'll tell you a story. <clears throat> And you guys can check this on it. When I first started playing um, in year five, I didn't really know a lot about basketball. Only thing I can remember is a group of guys would get up and leave class. And I, one day I just asked the question, "Who? where are those guys going? And the teacher said, they play on the basketball team. And I thought, oh, okay. And the teacher said, because they're on the basketball team, they get to leave early because they have games. So the next year... I thought it's one way to get out of class and they joined the basketball team. <laughs> so the next Very year, good. yeah, the next year, that's what I did. And, uh, yeah, I started getting up, leaving class early. So after about three years of doing that, we get to year eight and everything. I meet a cousin that I knew nothing about until he came, cause we lived in different areas, but when we both got to, Year eight, year nine, we pretty much joined forces. And I mean, him, he, he is right now, he's the univer, he's at the University of Kentucky. He's the head assistant coach. His name is Kenny Payne. And from that started, I mean, a 
very good. Like I said, we didn't know we were cousins, but once we met and we got that bond, that bond helped me just grow and grow and grow because I went to the University of Idaho. He went to the University of Louisville. And his first year at Louisville, they won a national title. Where So is that with Curtis Ellison? The University of Louisville in 86. Yeah. They won a title. And what I would do in the summertime, I would go back to Louisville and stay with him. And we just trained, trained. Because in, in Louisville, they had a lot of NBA players there. And to play against those guys and train against those guys was absolutely something on another level. And by the time I was getting back to Idaho, it was like every year I thought I got better and better and better just by doing that. And the big change came for me is when I came out here my first year with the Slammers in 90. And it was a short season because when I got here, the Slammers already had played 10 games. So there wasn't a whole lot of seasons left. I think they played another 10 games, and that was it. So when I went back to the state that year, Kenny was already playing with the Philadelphia 76ers. He got drafted uh, number 19. So, of course, I left here, and I went straight to home for a week, and then I flew to Philadelphia, and I started training with him and the Sixers. You know, they had Charles Barkley there then. Yep. And then, yeah, like I said, I just kept improving and improving on my game because, I would play against those NBA guys, and hey, they change. They would change a game. Trust me. Yeah. Well, so when you say you came out ten games in, how, what was that? What brought you to to, to WA? Was a, a contact here, or was it someone over there said, "Look, you need to you need to look overseas to play"? What what made that happen? Well, actually, um, what got me, I wasn't I wasn't looking to go outside the country, but my cousin actually said to me, he "said My agent had a look at your some of your games when you were in Idaho." And I said, right. He said, and he believes he can get you a contract. I said, oh, okay. I said, so what? He said, so do you want to go and play? I said, not really. I didn't want to leave the country. I just wanted to finish school and jump into coaching college basketball. But with that said, um, his agent put out my a video on me. And before you knew it, um, Argentina, Australia jumped on it. And I thought from there, I thought, well, I wouldn't mind going to Argentina because, you know, he said, but the only problem you got in Argentina, they they do speak English, but English is not their first language. Yeah. And I thought, oh, okay. And he said, what about Australia? And I thought, well, Australia could be a fitting place for me. I said, let me try it. I'll go there first. So I came down here first. And, um, yeah, I guess you guys know the rest was uh, stuck on history. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, when you got here, what was those that those early nineties were sort of in, in Australia we're going through what we would call the basketball boom. The Wildcats are winning yeah. championships that are on T V. What was yeah. that what was that like for you? What was your yeah, your first impressions as well, opposed to your expectations when you got here? Yeah. Well when I first came, um and I, I, I actually was funny you say that because I knew Ricky Grace from over in the States, right? And my first trip I got on the plane heading west, Sydney. And actually, the Wildcats was on the plane. So me and Ricky got to talking with each other, and, and he started telling me about basketball in Australia, in Perth, and what it was like. And I thought, okay. So he said, uh, you must be playing in the state league. And I thought, okay, fair enough. And <laughs> when I got here, I didn't know what the standard of play was like. The only thing I thought, I thought, well, I come down to Bunbury. We have a seven-footer in Gibb Hines. And I thought, wow, the team... 
the team must be pretty good. But what I failed to realize, the team was actually, when I got here, they won their first game, and they lost nine before that. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. Oh, my, what have I got myself into? But with that being said, we won our next 10 games. Yeah, and I, I guess at that time, it, it was sort of the, you would have had the very young Chalk Boys there, maybe who else would have been on that team at that well, stage? they actually came about two, two, three years later. The okay. young Jason and Damon, because I played my first three years, I played with like Jeff Harris, Gavin Harris, Stan Willis, Darren Richardson, you know, Gib Hines, um, yep. and those guys around then. But after that, because Alan Black came in in 91 and 92. And we played okay. in the grand finals then, but we lost to, who was it? We lost to the Swan City Mustangs at, at 91. And the second year, we lost to Coburn in 92. And from that, I thought it's time to regroup because I'm not used to going into grand finals losing, you know? <laughs> okay, that, yep. <laughs> that just wasn't something I was used to. So after that, most of those guys had left by then, but then we had the Chalk Boys come in, Jason and Damien. We had Wade Bennett step in. We had Aaron and Edwards. We had Leroy Smith. You know, our team started to get stronger with a lot of youth. Yep. And I thought, well, what this youth, this youth we got, all I have to do is make these guys pretty much get, their, get the strength in them and get some confidence in them, and let's see how we play. 94... We did pretty, we did pretty good, I thought, but 95, we came out and we played, I thought we had a, probably a decent season. We finished seventh that year on the ladder. We got into the, um, finals there and hey, we played to our strengths and before you knew it, we ended up winning the whole thing that year. Yeah. And then, and I loved every minute of that because Remember what I said? I'm not used to losing grand final. <laughs> and get that feeling. Yes. I just made made sure from that point on, if we won one, let's be greedy and go for two. And we got it. And I'll never forget in 97, we was playing Geraldton in the second semifinal. And the other import, Ricardo Boyd, got hurt and we lost. And right. I was so disappointed because I'm thinking that was our chance right there to get a three-peat. Yep, yep. And we Not came up short in that one. Not only a three-peat, it could have turned out to be five in a row in the end. You won four out of five between Absolutely. five and 99. That's, so who was that's, the, the that's import right. of the first two with you? Who did you end up as your – was it Joe Rainier was with you the first two? Well, Joe played in the – in my first one in 91, it was myself and Steve Isle. And the second 92, it was myself and Joe Rainier. Joe Rainier, yeah. Yep, and the one 95 when we won, it was myself and Steve Branch. Okay. And Steve Branch left and didn't come back. And then it was myself and Ricardo Boyd and 96. And from that there, Ricardo won all the rest of them with me as well. Him, Wade Bennett. It was only four players I know. It's myself, Wade Bennett, Leroy Smith, and Luke Edwards, the only one who won all four. Won all four. That's an amazing yep. race. Mm, mm. Yep. And like the thing that, that really jumps off the page to me, if you talk about from when you landed in the country in, was it, did you say, 1990, and then there's a 10-game winning streak when you arrive, and then two grand finals, a couple of years where you miss out, and then basically from 94 to, to 1999, um, yep. you're, you're in there. Three grand final MVPs, yet 
never figured in a in an SBL MVP. Does that you know, say something about the type of player you were and where your focus was? Or well, yeah, that's that, sort of, that, what do you think? That is true. That is true. I, you know, I normally have a good laugh with uh, Vince Kelly every time we talk and see each other because he always asks me how many how many um, regular season MVPs that I win, and I always say I didn't win a one, and he will, he always makes the joke and said, "Well, I got one." I said, yeah, but don't forget. I said, how many grand final MVPs do you have? And he yeah. said, well, I'm, I don't have one. I said, well, yeah. I said, actually, I got three, and I won four. <laughs> yeah. And he, he was like, yeah. That's it. Man, that's a running joke between me and him. But, you know, we're really good friends, and I've got a lot of respect for Vinny, and we have a good time together when we see each other. Yeah, but, and we, I mean, yeah. when you go back through that list of list of guys that were were here in the nineties, and again, Vince, uh, Jeff Anderson, uh, yeah, Alan Erickson, Al Erickson, Houston, yeah, um, yeah, Gerald Gerald Jarman jumped in and won one with, um, yeah, with uh, yes. not South, um, Rainbow Coast Raiders, like absolutely. Yep. Like then I look at the the quality and level of imports, and then. Again, that was, you know, for me, when we talk about that, that upper level, the people that can deliver on the big stage and, and none bigger than a than an SPL Grand Final Series or a, an SPL Grand Final to, to do it on that, that stage is just phenomenal. So, um, yeah, look, yeah, one of the, one of the legends that I know for me as a, as a young kid growing up, it was yep. whenever Bunbury was in Perth and, and they were playing somewhere, we would be in our car and we'd be going to go and watch you play. And <laughs> when I actually got, when I got to play, I actually remember driving down to Bunbury one time. We jumped in the car on a Saturday night. The Tigers were playing down at um, yeah, we just got our licenses and we we're like, yeah, we're going to do it. We're going to make that trek. And we yep. were so excited we to drive down and see you and Jeff go against each other. Oh yeah. Uh, and then a couple of years later, I remember jumping in my car to drive down there thinking. Oh my God! I'm going down to face James Fish. That's that that mental <laughs> switch from excitement to be going and watch someone to then yes. there's a chance I'm going to have to guard James, and I know his eyes yeah. are going to be as big as dish plates when he sees me <laughs> trying to guard him. So um, yeah, just that that change in emotions was was uh, was something to was pretty special actually. So yeah, enjoy enjoyed mm. the opportunities that I got. Yep. But I don't think I yeah could ever hold a candle to what you were doing. So yeah, <laughs> just just phenomenal. You, you know, people always say to me, what what got you so motivated, Clay? I said, I don't know. I, what, I said, what got me motivated? I said, I got hungry. I said, and I just want to play best basketball I can every time I hit the floor. And I remember one game we were playing over East Perth. And East Perth had us down by like, I think it's about like 18, 20 points. And I wasn't doing much. I was just. You know, we had a, we had a, we, I thought we were going to lose this game, so just fight it. It's probably about 10 minutes to go, and this fan just yelled out, James Fitch, you made me waste my money tonight. Everybody said you were worth coming to see. You haven't showed me nothing. And I turned and I looked and I thought, did I hear what I thought I said? Uh-huh. I think I scored like the next 25 points down the court. We caught East Perth, we passed them, and we, we beat them by like 10 points. It was so funny when the game was over. One of their players was over there giving it to this fan. <laughs> and, uh, and I just said to him, I said, hey, man, I said, thank you for what you did. You woke up the drag. I said, you, you enjoyed the game. <laughs> Speaking of East Perth, another famous game back in playoffs of 1992. You scored 61 points and your team won 164 to 111. Do you remember that game? Against East Perth? Yeah. 
That season, I scored 61 on them twice. <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> you, you, you know how you, no matter what you throw up, it's going in? Yeah. It, it, it felt like that. And once you got on a roll, you know, and the thing was, I always said to myself, never play selfish basketball because if you do, the only person going to win out of that is you. But what about your team? And I changed my game to be all about team. And to do that, like that in that form, I was, whew, man, I couldn't, I, you know, sometimes I still look at it and say, what the hell was I doing out there to score 61? I just don't know. Yeah, well, do you remember who was guarding you? Or was it like they just threw everyone out here to see what worked? They did. They were, they were bringing guys left, right, center, double teaming me, you know. And I thought, okay, just go out and have some fun, James. Uh, yeah, so that's amazing. You didn't so, win a regular season MVP, but some of your numbers, especially early on, your first 82 games, you averaged 36.3 points. Your first 192 games, you still averaged 31.7 points per game. You weren't just a big game player. You you were a every every night player. You you brought it every night. I you know there was nights where you you know you probably score 10, 12 points, but sure. you know you don't have to do much because. The way I like to think, I built our team up so everybody can score and have a good night. And I always thought, hey, guys, go out and show me something because when the game gets tight and I can't score, I need you guys to step up. And in saying that, most of our guys, I thought, when the game was on the line, they would come through. Yeah, and I guess that's that that balance. Mm. As you say, that's that balance that you try and get. And, and yeah. championships, you, you see teams, again, the, the one-off, they'll win a championship and then it's they disappear for a while. But those teams that have you know, put the trust in, in a few few more guys or taken the time yeah. to develop a few guys, as, you, as you're talking about there, they're the ones that have had that longevity. If you look at the you know, the, the slammers of the 90s, the, even yeah. the Giants, when they had their run, there was a good core yeah. group there that stayed together. Perry Lakes, yep. Hawks, Lakeside, like those sorts of teams that you can manage to keep your, your core group together and mm. you've got guys that are buying into your system, then that makes a, a, a massive a massive advantage for you. Oh, you know, we were playing Geraldton in the second grand final in 96. <clears throat> we're going through the fourth quarter and Geraldton's on a roll. Next thing I know, Wade Bennett goes over and he rolls his ankle and he's rolling on the floor, rolling on the floor. And I'm thinking, oh, man, I can't have him hurt. That's the, that's my next big money man now. I get down on the floor. I put my hands over his head before they got him off the floor. I said, leave him there. Let me talk to him. I just whispered in his ear. If you are seriously hurt, I can live with that, and I will deal with that. I said, and I will take this game. I said, but if you can get up off this floor, walk it off, and finish this game off with me, I promise you we will win this title. He wow. got up. He walked off the floor. The ball, get the game started back. He subbed back in. He scored the next 12 points in a row. <laughs> we won the game. The next day, he was limping around, could barely walk on that ankle. But thing was, I said, hey, we're going to take care of you. We're going to get through this. And we did. He came through big for us. That's big. That is, I've always respected that, you know. Yeah. Yep. How proud are you mm. of the fact that you stayed in Bunbury the whole time? And that, did you ever come close to leaving? Did you ever get an offer from anywhere else in that time that you seriously considered? Well, <clears throat> back in 90, 94, the Slammers was, they were talking about, they said, oh, we can't, 
we don't have any money. You know, we don't, we want you to play for free. And I said to him, I said, okay. I said, you need to know. I said, I can't play for free. I said, because this is how I make my living. I said, but by that time, me and Jeff Anderson, we were really good friends. And of course, you know, he's at Willerton. And he came to me, he said, hey, I want to make you a good offer to come up to Willerton. I was probably 90% sold and in the bag, ready to go. Mm-hmm. And the slammers changed hands, and they said to me, hey, we can do this, 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 and for you, you know. They came to the table big time, and I turned around and had a chat with my wife, at, well, my girlfriend at the time, and I said to her, would you prefer to go to Perth or stay? She said, well, I would like to stay in Bumbley if we can, but if we got to go to Perth, so be it. So I thought, you know what, I truly enjoy it down here. I got a young group of guys I'm just starting to work with, so I said to her, you know what, we'll just stay. Take a chance. And it paid off. Yes, yeah, certainly did. Wow, yeah. what a what a sliding doors moment that is. It's um, absolutely changed the because again, that's one of the things that you always you look at someone like Jeff who yep. you know on, on his team he just really needed that um, that other guy that could could be there for him. And uh, yeah. again, I shudder to think you know you've got a four time MVP of the league and yeah. a four time grand final MVP or three times yeah. sorry four time champ. Those two guys teaming up that's like the all. Almost the, the first super team in the SBL, so yes, that would have been yes, uh, I agree with that, that would have changed history for everyone. <laughs> yes, I agree there. <laughs> what about life in Bunbury? Obviously, you met your wife there. You've now brought up your family there with your daughters. Is life yep. everything that you could have hoped for and more from this move that you made down under? You know, there's. I have a. I have a. My life in Bunbury is very good. I have a lot of good friends. Um, my wife's side of the family's here. My t- my wife, my two daughters are here. You know, like I say, I got a, to me, Bunbury's everything. I, I even tell guys this. I said, like, I know, I know you guys know Sam Fulton? Yes. Yes. Okay, Sam's a very good friend of mine. And there's another American living here named Michael Lay. You guys might know him as well. Absolutely. Yeah, that's Michael. Okay, I said to Sam probably about, Five years ago, I said, Sam, he's like, yep. I said, don't come down here and get caught in the Bunbury curse. And he said, what's the Bunbury curse? I said, did I see you not laying on the beach one day with your kids? And he said, yes. I said, don't do that. He's like, why? I said, because you stay here too long, you're not going to end up leaving. <laughs> five, years, five years ago, Sam ended up buying a house. Next thing I know, he's like, I'm not leaving Bunbury. Yeah, I was yeah. like, you got caught in the curse. Michael Lay, who started out. Yeah, Clive Whedon. Yep. I keep telling him, the Bunbury curse will get you. No matter what you do, I said, you get down here, you start enjoying it so much. You got Boston, Margaret Rivers not too far. I said, lifestyle, you don't want to give up. Yep. So you guys come down here. Don't stay too long. Exactly. Plenty of excitement around the Slammers this year with Mark Worthington taking over as coach. Were you looking forward to seeing what he could do? And you know, whenever we get a competition again, are you looking forward to seeing what he can do to the Slammers? Well, funny you you talk about Worth. Worthington's um, he's been doing a really good job. I am actually one of his assistants. Ah, um, that's great with the Slammers. Yeah, myself and Aaron Edwards and uh, a couple more guys. We yeah, we're assisting with him. You know. I like what I'm seeing already, what he's doing, what he's bringing to the team. You know, he's bringing a lot of enthusiasm, confidence, showing guys how basketball has changed, but a new way of playing. And I, I truly like it. 
Yep. Oh, that's uh, that's great. I mean, that was my next question. Is there ever been the, the itch you said at the start you were thinking about going into coaching in college? Was there ever mm. a time when you thought you might sit on the sideline and, um, and and do it? So to, to hear that that's happening or that transition's sort of there, yeah. um, yeah. that's great for the league. That's uh, you're one of the biggest names getting back into the league is um, mm. is what we want to see and what we want to hear. So that's uh, that's yeah. outstanding. Nah, so I'm hoping, guys, you know, when we play up in uh, your way or somewhere, you guys pop out in the season and we can catch Most up definitely. after the game or something. Yeah. Now, speaking of Ben, do you remember playing against him? Do you remember anything about bumping into Ben on the court? I probably Plenty bumped into him and, and fouled him Plenty four times in, in four minutes, so that's probably that was <laughs> remember, my record. I remember playing against Ben. Ben was, he was a young guy at uh, Mandra, and you know the one thing I truly remember about you, Ben, that I truly respect about all players? What's I would that? say if a player's on the floor and they're not playing hard, I'm going to give you 50. <laughs> but you can't. I don't think you ever give me 50. No, because you played hard, Ben. That's why. You know? Players, you work, you work, you work. Some of those guys I gave 50 to, Ben, they wasn't working. Because if you did, guys, they would they would have been able to stop me. They would have been like, or even just slow me down, you know, a little bit. But. Yeah. You know, I never felt whenever a player come out there and he's playing soft and playing like, oh, no, no, you go out there, you play hard no matter who you're playing against. You know what I mean? Yeah, and again, I guess that for me, that's that grounding that I have, you know, the guys that I used to go and watch. And again, making that two-hour trek down to watch you and Jeff go head-to-head. That's the thing that stood out to me. That's that's how I learned to play the game of basketball was there you go. watching you guys play hard, leave it all out there. And there then, you go. You know, right. The result takes care of itself. So That's I appreciate exactly that. But um, right. yeah, I, I do remember your eyes <laughs> getting pretty big when you when you had me down on the block a few times, and there was just <laughs> <laughs> it was two points, two points. Just, yep, let's go. Ben, ben, I had this model. I had this model. If they too small, I'll take them to the block. <laughs> if they too big, I'll take them to the wing. And they were like, okay, well, all right. <laughs> that that was another thing. Like when I looked at your stats in college, the thing that yep. stood out was there was no and tell me if I'm wrong, there was no three point attempts or were there like seasons and there was no three point attempt. Would that be correct? <laughs> you want me to tell you why then? Yeah. I played for I played for Tim Floyd, right? Okay. And he said to me, he said, James, I love everything about your game except for one thing. I said, What's that? He said I don't want you shooting any three-pointers. <laughs> wow. And I said, I said, serious? He said, nope. He said, I don't want you shooting any three-pointers. Anything else, you go for it. Then, Ben, we played UNLV in the uh, – my last year we played UNLV. And Coach Kermit Davis, who's the head coach at the University of Mississippi net right now, right. he said, don't remember. He said, just remember, you can't shoot threes. When I knocked down about six of them, Ben, he said to me, what the hell you been doing the whole year? You haven't been shooting threes at the coach. So you told me not to. Like, yeah. We went for the whole year, and you didn't take a three. I said, I haven't taken threes in, a three in three years. It was yes. not until this year that I started taking them. And from that, I have just worked and worked on my shooting from the three-point line. And just luckily, Steve Hawkins picked up on it and said, hey, Every play we run, we're going to let the guys get out in front of you. They're going to run the fast break. I want you trailing. And I said, why is that? He said, because when the fast break happens, the defense gets sucked into the keyway. He said, that leaves you wide open. I thought, that makes sense to me. 
Yeah, well, look, that's that's my memories as well. Is is James trailing in at the top there and, and banging a few triples, and which leads me to another question. So, where where do you think your game would fit now? Like, if we were to take transport peak James Fitch 1994, mm-hmm. 95, and put him in twenty twenty, how would yep. your game translate nowadays? You think? Honestly, man, I think I'd go. I think right now, if I played in the game today, the way. That I'm watching some of these kids play today. You know that that record of 82? Snoopy <laughs> Graham, yep. I'd get that easy. <laughs> I'd yeah, get well, that be- because uh, not a lot of, I don't, I, I love contact. You know, it, being able to be in hit and deal finish. But yep. I don't see a lot of guys, and when you're out there, there's a lot of guys. I, I even, even some of the guys that I'm watching play hard. And that's what I'm talking about. I don't see a lot of that. You know, mm-hmm. I want to see. Yeah. I want to see guys get out there, get down on that floor. If that ball hits floor, you dive on that floor, getting after that ball. Don't try to pick it up. You know, and I'm just yep. thinking to myself, oh man, it's so frustrating sometimes to watch HBO games. You know. Yeah. Well, look, I think you're in the right spot now to to maybe instill a bit of that into the the guys coming through. So, but yeah, I sort of look at it nowadays, and I think yeah, that of, of a few guys from back then, the one of the games that does translate probably the best, and it's for that reason. It's not just a three point shooter; it is that ability mm-hmm. to get to the basket, draw contact, finish, you know, get a get get free throws, which is um which is the modern game yep. as as we see it nowadays. So exactly, um, yeah, very much see it translating across. So yeah, maybe maybe eighty two, yeah, that that would definitely be in trouble. I would damn sure go for it. Trust me. Well, James, it's been a it's been a hell of an honour for well for me especially to catch up with you, and I know I know Ben was especially excited to speak to you as well. And you're our first ever guest here on SBL Shootaround, and we couldn't have asked for anyone better to to open up this show on our our second ever edition. Where as as we we've talked about, there might not be an SBL season this year, but there's plenty for us to talk yep. about. And and someone like you is exactly why. And so an incredible honour for us to talk to you, and it was great fun talking to you. And I'm sure all of our listeners enjoyed it, and hopefully it was it was alright for you too to have a have a jog down memory lane. Absolutely, mate. It was. I want to thank you guys for asking me to come on. It's been a pleasure. I truly enjoyed it. And uh, hey, hope to see you guys when the season does start back. Absolutely. Sounds great, mate. Look forward to catching up. Okay, for sure. Okay, huge thank you to James Fitch, Ben. Um, Fantastic to talk to him. Was that was that everything you hoped it would be? Yeah, and as I said, um, the the gamut of emotions that went from being one of his biggest fans, driving two hours down the uh, the Bunbury Highway to play to watch him play, to that not in your stomach when you're driving down there, knowing that you're going to have to go against him. So, um, yeah, absolute pleasure, living legend. And how about it? 61 points, not once, but twice against the same people. Uh, East Perth. I might look up who that roster was and just see who um, mm. caught 122 points from him that year. <laughs> <laughs> unbelievable unbelievable and you know almost the best thing about that to me was hearing that he's back involved in the league helping out mark worthington this year which is fantastic and hopefully you know that continues into next year as well when we have a fully fledged competition again so very exciting and can you imagine having him as your assistant coach that would be pretty incredible for, for an 18 year old kid from bumbering yeah it wouldn't be much uh back chat uh, when james told you that you weren't playing hard enough or uh you needed to perhaps dive on the floor for a loose ball now, let's keep moving, Ben. One idea that I thought might work quite well, given the season itself has been cancelled, but every every team had gone through their full pre-season, every team had played their full amount of matches at the Blitz. Everyone was raring to go. When the season was postponed, 
we were only only I think two days out from from Goldfields and Geraldton playing the opening game of the season, and Coburn was due to play Goldfields the next day as well. So the teams were ready. It's fair to say everyone was fit and raring to go. So over the next few weeks, I wanted to take a look at how the different teams were shaping up and give our give our quick thoughts on what we were expecting from the teams what we're looking forward to, and, and I guess what we're expecting from them. So we'll take a look at a few of the teams starting this week, and this is in no order except alphabetical, so don't read anything else into it. So we'll start at the Coburn Cougars. They're going to be coached for the first time by Andrew Cooper, coming off a 7-19 and 19 season last year. Um, recruited pretty well, obviously, until we see their imports in action. We aren't totally sure, but from what I saw from JT Harris at the Blitz, he was looking pretty good, obviously. Adding Luke Travis was pretty exciting, and any time you've got Gavin Field on your roster, you're always going to be competitive. What, were you, what, what did you make of the Cougars, the way they were shaping coming into the season? Yeah, well, look, I think um, our first-time coach in Andrew Cooper, huge success in our state junior programs. So mm-hmm. that's a, a tick in the box there for him. He's, he's coached at a reasonably high level there. His time with the Wildcats as a, as a video tech, he's probably learned a few few things behind the scenes as to how to run your team, repair your team. You can't underestimate that, that experience that he would bring to the, to the forefront. Um, Again, Gavin Field, one of those guys who is just a, an absolute, again, legend of the league and, and the scoring machine that he is. There's always a team with Gav is, is never out of a game. Um, JT Harris is an interesting one. I know he was high on the list of a few teams, including uh, myself at East Perth. And I think just the living situation that he could put himself in um, with Coban suited him a bit better. Very versatile, big um, ability to you know hit the three ball, but also protect the rim. Probably reminded me a bit of a, a Jordan Wild type that um, could, could do a bit of everything. Uh, probably not as athletic, six foot six, not six foot nine, but just that same sort of rangy, um, good good shooting touch around the basket and that sort of thing. So you know he was going to obviously the sort of import that does well in this league. Um, and then you know, the the one for me that I was really really excited to see play this year was Luke Travers. Um, everything you hear about this kid is his um, his next level. Um, I think the move from Rockingham might be a good one for him, get him out of his comfort zone down there, put him in an environment where he's got a couple of people around him like JT and, and Gav who can take a bit of the pressure off him. However, uh, I firmly believe that this probably would have been the, the last season that we saw Luke Travers play in the, uh, in the SBL, um, given yeah. his, you know, the, the Cats think so highly of him um, and uh, the things that he can do. Um, I, I actually think you know, this year, given the right situation, he probably would have been a top five MVP candidate. And yeah, as I said just before, you know, probably the last time we would have seen Luke play in the SBL, um, given his, mm. his talent arc and, and where he's heading. So I was super excited to see him play. Um, and I'll have to give a yeah. shout out to uh, former Wolves boy there, Kai Chamberlain. Great to see him make a move and, and put himself in an opportunity for success. Yeah, I think I think there's no doubt they would have improved on what they did did last year. So they, I think they would have certainly been a playoff contender. Now the next team's a tricky one, East Perth Eagles. Um, I think no matter who was coaching them, they were at the start of a rebuild. Obviously, that was going to be you. It's it was now going to be Luke Luke Coburn. They're coming off a six and twenty season, but um, obviously, adding Brian Sullivan as your point guard was a was a was a huge plus. Um, the Kevin Davis signing—I'm not sure if it was ever 100% confirmed, but if it was, then we know what he can do as a as a center in this league. Chris Clausen, a very handy player. Bailey Bezo, another one that you coach of the Wolves who would have been able to have an impact. Jaden Coburn, a very handy player as well. Um, so you had some good good additions there. Obviously, it was now Luke Coburn's team, but it was always going to be a rebuilding season. Is that how you saw things for for East Perth? 
Yeah, look, and again, we're in year one. Um, we did have some targets that we wanted to hit, and the first one was signing, getting a quality point guard there like like Brian, not only on the court, we know he can do on the court, but off the court, just a true leader of that group. And again, the exciting one for me was uh, the ability to coach uh, Andre Donlagic. I look at Andre as mm-hmm. being that prototypical you know, three-man in this in the SBL, uh, can do it all. Uh, a Ben Persa, Ernest Ross, Colter Lasher-type player that, um, you could build your team around, and essentially that's what we tried to do. And then the, the next one was uh, Kieran Berry. Had a, yeah. a huge amount of time for that kid. Uh, I think, again, um, Brian's ability to play off the ball, running with the two, um, and have Kieran run the point. Some of the things, some of the reads that Kieran could make in our in our early offense and our transition stuff was just unbelievable. Um, Love the fact that he was a lefty. It reminded me of uh, Simon Blanahassett. Um, from the from the Perry Lakes Championship sort of run teams, just that rangy lefty that saw the angles and could could pick defenses apart in the pick and roll. So I was really excited to see those two East Perth boys with a couple of quality people around them. Kev, you, you know what you're going to get with Kevin Davis. Uh, was he going to give us enough scoring punch? Don't know, but pairing with uh, a couple of good pick and roll point guards. Uh, who knows what he could have done opened things up down the middle for him with some shooters like Chris Clausen and Bailey Basso and so forth around him so um, yeah look and I think Luke would have done a great job in the the short time we were together um, reminded me a lot of Luke Brennan um, wanted to learn mm-hmm. wanted to get better um, again I'm in touch with him and we'll stay in touch with him because I want him to be a, I think he'll be a long term SBL coach um, and yeah look they would definitely have improved um, how far who knows so yeah but we'll never know now, this can't help but stand out to me. Jordan Wellstead left the Wolves where you were coaching to go to East Perth. You take over as East Perth coach and he leaves East Perth to go back to the Wolves. I'm sure that's not a coincidence. Uh, look, yeah, look, uh, that wasn't a decision made by me. Um, no, I guess that was uh, one, of the, one of the decisions made by him and, and the club. So I think that was in, in place before, before I'd signed at the club. So part of their end of season review. So... Yeah, look, uh, and from all accounts, uh, June Lock, and we'll probably get to that when we get there. But he was uh, back in his back in his comfort zone with with his with his mates around him and, and doing really well, and they were expecting big things out of him. So yeah, look, you know, good good for him for putting himself in a situation for success. Sure. Now the Geraldton Buccaneers, defending champions, as you know all too all too well. But they were going to be a hell of a new looking team. No, no Marcus Alaparte, no no Liam Hunt, no Alex Dukas, no Cole Delasher. Um Two new imports. One of them we know very well, Sean Stewart from the Mandurah Magic, and but the other one was a a new player to the league, Kyle Roach. A couple of other handy signings, Xavier Shaw and Zach Zach Tapuni. But this was going to be a very much a new look Bucks team from the one that you played in the grand final. Yeah, and again, it's one of those things that the the Bucks and probably Kalgoorlie go through on a regular basis. They do have that high turnover of those two or three guys, but their, their core group stays together, and that's sort of why they're always around the mark. Um, Sean Stewart, uh, quality point guard, quality player, would have definitely given them a bit of um, bit of punch in that backcourt, bigger and stronger than than Marcus Alapate, and can really handle the ball and. and take a team on his shoulders like he did with Mandra. Yeah. Um, look, had a bit of a look at uh, Kyle Roach and reminded me very much of um, Josh Braun. Um, six foot five, shoot the lights out. Not as big, probably, in the upper body as, as Josh, but could really fill it up and, um, and get it done, shoot a high clip. And again, as I sort of put those two together in my head, I could just imagine the, um, the Bucks announcer on the, on the sidelines going berserk as those two have railed off you know, four or five triples in a row and, and yeah. the Buccaneers fans are, are going mental. That would have just turned that place into that fortress that we know it is. Mm. Look, probably they may have looked around for a, a, a naturalised big or a, an Aussie big to put in there and take a bit of pressure off um, that front court. But yeah, definitely with those two, those two in the backcourt, um, definitely a lot of shooting and a lot of, a lot of ball handling there for them. So 
they probably would have been around the mark. It's going to be a lot of pressure on Matty Wondenberg, wasn't it, to probably have a bigger role to play than he had last year? Yeah, but uh, again, that's what he's done. Him and you know, Damien Maddox have just continued to refine their game mm-hmm. to essentially the tools they need. They, they're, the, uh, they're, you know, they're not the apprentice walking in with the, the toolbox and the tool belt and so on and so forth. They, they walk in with, with you know, everything they need on in, in their pocket and they, they can go about it. So, um, yeah, look, um, no doubt his, his minutes would have, would have dropped down a little bit, but you know he's going to be there fighting in the, in the last game or the last, mm-hmm. last five minutes of a quarter. So you'd never sort of count him out. Last team we'll look at for this week, Goldfields Giants. Had a really good season last year, got to the quarterfinals, lost to lost to Lakeside in that in that in the first round. Um I think it was Lakeside, correct me if I'm wrong. But again, they're another team that would have had a very different looking lineup. Both of their experienced point guards, Daniel Falano, Brandon Holloway, had moved on. Patrick Burke, who who was phenomenal last year, obviously moved on to join Williton. Dave Humphreys and Jay Bowie moved on as well. Probably their five best and most important players. Um, again, they got two new imports to the league, Corey Hamill and Josh Jones. Cole Tapine looked to me a very handy pickup from what I saw. Obviously, had the blitz and Major Garang was was really exciting as well, especially when he could could pair up pair up with with, with their other bigs. Um, I guess they were a great unknown just because there's so many new faces in that team. Yeah, look, um, I think they kind of almost went like for like with um, with Corey Hamill and, and Patrick Burke. And Burke was an undersized five, worked really hard, did a great job for them. Watching Hamill, uh, probably a bit better outside scoring touch. I'm not a big not a big scorer. So, um, I was definitely going to give them you know workhorse hard hat lunch bucket every week up there. And yeah, look, when you when you lose your starting five, um, you're pretty much going through a, a complete rebuild. So I know Creaky's in that for the long haul. He's a guy that, that bleeds blue and gold up there and the culture and the standards that he holds those guys to, you know that that's going to mean that they're competing all the time. Um, they're never, you're never going to you know, make that trip up there and, and get a get a half-assed effort from them. Um, they're going to go, go 100%. So, yeah, look, we'll, again, we'll never know. Um, but yeah, building on what they did last year would have been really hard when, you, when you're losing you know, five quality players from the top end of your list. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, that's the first four teams. We'll take a look at more of them next week and the week after, and then we'll come together and we'll have a look at who we thought would have reached the playoffs this year, who we thought would have won the championship, and hopefully, well, if all of our listeners want to do the same, send us through your predictions as well, and we'll we'll compile them as we go along. Now, let's keep moving on, SBL Shoot Around, Ben. I think this is probably the part of this week's show that everyone has been waiting for and looking forward to. Based on our feedback during the week, it's generated a lot of discussion. Our top five basketball movies. Before we get to our our lists, how big of an impact on your life have basketball movies played? I I get a feeling there's something that's a, a bit of a passion of yours. Yeah, look, I, I'm a I'm a basketball tragic. Um, I would probably once or twice a week be be sitting down and and either watching one of these movies or um, trying to find obscure basketball movies. I think I watched one that was completely in Korean the other day, you know, just because it was a basketball movie. So I'm, I'm a basketball tragic. Um, and some of these movies, I think if you were to put it on, I could almost uh, recite them word for word. That's how many times I've watched them since um, since since mm-hmm. first, you know, first popping them in the VCR back in the, the early 80s. Now, before we talk about our top five, let me get to some of our feedback that we received this week. And as you mentioned before, 
Mark Utley, your old barring partner. I don't know if you're ever teammates with him, but you've definitely spent. Yeah, Mandra, we him. we were. Uh, you were okay. Mandra, Mandra, Magic. Yeah, we even had our own nickname, uh, Bump and Thump, um, down there. We were both on. <laughs> uh, he had two busted shoulders, and I had two busted knees. So put us together, we, we might have been all right. But yeah, there was some illustrious um, practice sessions and uh, and road trips for me and Utley back back in the Mandra days. <laughs> Fantastic. So, so Mark got in touch with us. He commented on on one of our posts on Facebook. I'll bring it up now. Okay, this is what Mark Utley had to say, Ben. Firstly, some compliments from him, which he's a he's a naturally a bit of a. I found him a bit of a bit of a bit of a hard bastard. So to get a compliment from him is a is a positive in my eyes. Great first show, guys. Love listening, especially in this break from the rigors of the season. Now, Ben Etridge will love my basketball movie list. Number one, he's got Hoogiers. Number two, yep. Teen Wolf. Number three, I don't know where he's going with this now. This has gone off the rails. Cable Guy. Number yeah, four, Cable number Guy. Four. Number four, Porkies. Now, I know both of those movies, and I, I'm struggling to remember the basketball references. Five, White Man Can't Jump. And now his honourable mention is any of the ESPN 30 for 30s about basketball, but as he doesn't class docos as movies, they're not counted. Thoughts on that? So, so well, look, I'll, I'll uh, agree with him as who's years as um, as the number one, as um, a few people okay. have, uh, have mentioned. Um, one of my favourite all-time movies, and we'll we'll slot that in and um, try and find time to watch that at least once a week, um, just because mm. I think it's a great movie and it's got a lot of um, a lot of memories for me. Um, look, I'm going to have to jump in there on Cable Guy. There's, we've got the scene in Cable Guy where Jim Carrey turns up to practice in the, um, the shortest basket, basketball shorts ever. Yes, of course. The of headband course, yeah. and, and starts running suicide. Um, yeah, no, I remember and, uh, Mark, One of Mark's favourite favorite lines pre-game, I'm pretty sure the Rockingham boys and, and the Calamunda boys will be able to attest to this, is it's uh, the prison rules scene when he's, when he's talking about how, how they're going to foul people. So I know Mark loves the, the thought of prison rules basketball. Yep. And then, you, you know, I, of course I remember that scene. I just, I'm not sure yeah. it counts. But I wouldn't say it's a basketball movie. And then um, Porky's, I, I yeah, have no. I think Mark's just uh, just re- remembering his heyday, maybe a little bit there, and, <laughs> and the whole um, genre of Porky's is, is something that he he wants to live out again. So, but yeah, and then White Man Can't Jump again. Mm. The the burden of our of uh of being a six foot one white guy in the league. Uh, yeah. I think that really hit home with everyone. So. Not a bad list. Right. Not a bad there, first time. There you up. go, Mark. You're, that's Mark's first appearance on this show. I'm sure we'll talk to him at some stage and he'll be able to respond to anything we say to him over, over these coming shows. Um, yep. But some other people have sent in their top five too, Ben. Previn Chandran. Yep, Prev. Number one, Above the Rim. Number two, He Got Game. Number three, Blue Chips. Number four, Rebound. And number five, White Man Can't Jump. Now, he's also added, hoops. he's asked if Hoop's dream counts. He, he thinks that's more like a doco. And then he's also asked about Michael Jordan's Playground, which I'm not sure is a real movie, even though it was a favourite of everyone who cared about basketball in those early 90s. Yeah, what, what do you think of that top five? Yeah, look, I think that sort of hits Previn's, uh, Previn's basketball roots to, to a T there. There's a lot of street ball in there, a lot of um, uh, players sort of coming uh, coming into basketball from different avenues. Um, above the rim, uh, I guess the soundtrack is an iconic soundtrack that probably many of us have still got a few songs playing on our uh, our iPhones as we uh, travel around in our cars at the moment. So, um, and yeah, look, one one that I might have left or over overshot on the um, top twenty-five is Rebound, the story of Earl Manigault. Mm. Absolutely phenomenal story. So, yeah, again, this is this, I didn't even know that was on there. So, or you put it on there and it's, mm-hmm. it's brought back that memory for me. So, um, yeah, very very good list there by uh, by Young Previn. 
Now, Suresh has got in touch with us as well in response to, to Previn. Um, he's added in some lighter ones. Uncle Drew, Coach Carter, which I don't know if Coach Carter's a lighter one, but it's definitely definitely a terrific movie. And The Pistol. Um, any of those yep. three grab your fancy? Yeah, so I mean, Coach Carter, um, every basketball coach that's walked into a new team, similar story yeah. to um, to whose years is there. Uh, the Pistol, um, that's on my list as it's the, the first basketball movie that I ever actually watched um, with my dad, yeah. so I have that pretty highly. And what was the last one he had on there? Uncle Drew. Uncle Drew, yeah, look, like that movie, probably, I think it went straight to um, to Aeroplane. Uh, I don't remember seeing it released in any, so. any theatres, and I do remember watching it on a flight. Um, and yeah, look, enjoyable, good to see the modern day players. I uh, thought Kyrie did a, did a pretty decent job um, in that one. Mm-hmm. Just a little fun fact with, with Coach Carter, um, a little bit of a link to the SVL there. One of the main characters, Timo Cruz, you see at the end of the movie, attended Humboldt State University, yeah. which is um, the, the same school that Alan Erickson went to um, in Northern oh, California nice. up there. So not at the same yeah. time. But, um, yes, same school, so just a little bit of a link to, yeah. to the SBL. Steve Book has also offered his thoughts. He's, he's responded to Previn. Mine would have to be the same, although Blue Chips would be his number one, just because of, obviously, Penny and Shaq, referring to Penny Hardaway and Shaquille O'Neal, who, who star in that movie. Yeah, I think that was probably one of the, the bigger budget films where we saw NBA guys actually think. Well, I don't know whether you could call yeah. what... Shaq does as acting and he just played himself but um, yeah look yeah great movie uh, love the opening scene when uh, Nick Nolte boots the ball into the grandstand uh, I think all, all coaches have been in that situation where um, they, mm-hmm. they want to do that so yeah just uh, a really good look at, at what it's like and maybe a few things that we're, we're not aware of uh, that happen over here um, and also the you know the struggles as a as a coach when you're under that much pressure um, another eye opener there for, for people so uh, but yeah Blue Chips definitely a very very good movie now, one more from our listeners, and then we'll give our own thoughts. Ryan Benno on Twitter. Obviously, you know him very well. He's he's obviously been heavily involved in basketball in WA for a long time. He's top five basketball movies. Number one, Hoop Dreams. Number two, White Man Can't Jump. Number three, Semi Pro. No, number four, Glory Road. Number five, Coach Carter. Um, and then he says, The Way Back could potentially move into the top five over the coming years. And he's intentionally left huge years out due to it being the unanimous number one for the co-host, which is you, obviously. Yeah, and again, another another long-time stalwart of the SBL, someone that we perhaps should yeah. chat about maybe at the, those Rainbow Coast Raiders days and yeah. the story that, that, that sort of runs with them. But, yeah, no, another great list. I think if you were sort of to, to watch those movies one after the other, there you go, you'd, you'd have a pretty good night. If you were sitting down and, uh, and watching those movies, um, you sort of run through the gamut of emotions. And I think semi-pro there with Will Farrell running, running, running the puke, um, I know there's a few times a few coaches may have wanted to do that as well. So, but yeah, very, very good list, very substantial list, and um, and hitting all the uh, all the right spots. Okay, let me give my thoughts first, and then I'll hand it over to you. Now, I've got the I've got two that are my childhood favourites, which are very hard to leave out. Space Jam, for obvious reasons, and and Teen Wolf is the other one, just because I I was a huge fan of anything Michael J. Fox, and 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 I still am. I know it's probably not a fantastic movie, but but it's just one of my childhood favourites. What can I what can I say? So there's those two which I'm going to find very hard to leave out. Then there's Semi Pro, just because it's probably probably Will Ferrell just about at his best, and and I love that history of the of the ABA, which you know it's probably not all that you know historically accurate, but at least it's it's paying somewhat tribute to the to the ABA. 
But then there's the ones that I guess are the true basketball movies, which I'm a big fan of. White Man Can't Jump is one of them. Blue Chips is always one that I've always loved. And more recently, thanks to you, Heaven is a Playground. I watched that this week. Big fan. Really enjoyed it. And Hoosiers. I can see why you watch that so often. And then there's Coach Carter. So those are the ones that I've been tossing up between. And they're they're obviously so different. Where you've got the the childhood ones like the Space Jam, the Teen Wolf. The pure comedy like a semi-pro. And then the others are the more serious ones. So... It's, it's really tough to get it down to a, to a top five. But what I've come up with, I've gone Coach Carter number one, Hughes number two, even though I've only seen it once, I know. Teen that's, Wolf That's all right, though. it'll grow on you. <laughs> Teen Wolf number three, and then I've gone Semi Pro number four, and Space Jam number five. Now, a lot of that is just because of the ones that I'm more familiar with, but big fan of the two that you've put me onto this week Heaven is a Playground and Hughes, they. I'm going to watch them many more times. I feel bad for leaving out White Man Can't Jump, but top five is tough. And there's one that I want to give an honourable mention to. I couldn't put it in a top five list because it's, I guess basketball is kind of the secondary story to it. But forget Paris where... Oh, uh, yeah. We, we, the, the NBA referee where he... he, he it, it's more of a, a romantic story, which is the number one story. But when he comes back to be to be the, the the referee, the interaction he has with some of the NBA players like David Robinson and Charles Barkley and, and the like. Gee, what's the, the... The the star of the show escapes me. He's going to kill Billy me. Billy Crystal, is it? Billy Crystal, obviously. He's the referee. That has always been a bit of a favourite for me, but given basketball is sort of the secondary story to that, I couldn't include it, but I, I did want to mention it. Now, yeah, I'm going to hand nah, it over to you. Look, um, again, lots and lots of good lists, and um, this is my list, and... They all have different meanings, and as you said, you know, you've, you've got people in movies in there because they're ones you've watched growing up and you enjoyed Michael J. Fox and those sorts of things. So there's a couple of similar ones on here for me. So one and two for me, um, Hoosiers and Coach Carter. Um, again, just that coaching story, building a team, getting mm. the team to buy in, and I think for in Hoosiers as well, the one that stands out for me is you know, Coach Norman Dale. The, they try and run him out of the town, but he sticks to his principles, yeah. he sticks to his values, and, and the team is, is successful in the end. And I think it was that first look that we had at what it was like to be a, a completely basketball-mad state, you know, when you, you see them mm-hmm. and, the, and they're driving to the different tournaments. And as the tournaments go on, the, the bus gets painted a different colour, the farmhouses have the, the signs out the front, you know, the free haircuts and... and Hoosiers eat eat um eat free those sort of things like those are the sorts of things that really start to appreciate what basketball does mean in those sort yep. of um you know Midwest states um Indiana Kentucky like, 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 like all those things about Larry Bird when I was watching that well that's it too yeah Larry it's um just like you know, French Lick Indiana they play French Lick in one of the yep. games so it's like that's the um that, that's that link to, to those things that you had and and Coach yep. Carter again another one uh, great story kids kids achieving through adversity and and turning kids around their lives around through basketball and then as I said the the next two for me uh, were the, the first sort of two basketball movies that I watched in, in those formative years. Um, you know, the Pistol, the story of Pete Maravich, and I guess the, mm. the one there for me was his dad was his coach, uh, which was a very similar situation to me. Um, grew up on a farm, so on and so forth. So there was a lot of parallels that I saw there. Dad never drove the car and made me dribble the basketball out the window, but um, <laughs> you know, those are the sorts of things that I remember spending those times learning the game of basketball. And then there was um, it's a, it's a little-known movie called One on One, uh, story of a, of a small town kid goes to a big college and gets off the rails a little bit. Just one of those again formative year ones, and uh, the, the round out the top five for me was was White Men Can't Jump because um, that had such a 
big impact in those early 90s. Um, basketball was huge and also the advent of three-on-three basketball and, and a lot more street basketball going on. You know, those pick-up games that you'd just be able to turn up to and play. So, you know, that was sort of um, one of the things that I really, really enjoyed. Loved the by play between Wesley Wesley Snipes and Woody Harrelson. Mm-hmm. I thought that was excellent. Yep. Became a big Jeopardy fan also because of it. So, you know, those are the sorts of things that um, that stick with you. But, yeah, the, the one there that that um, you said has now jumped into your top five is uh, Heaven is a Playground and that initially yeah. was a, a book I read one of the few books that I read growing up and then when I found out it had been turned into a movie now I have it on high rotation and it's actually uh, again a really really good story uh, I won't spoil it for anyone that's watching but what I will say is that there's a, a few cameos in there um, so Bo Kimball mm-hmm. Is one of the main main actors, um, and uh, one of the first times yeah, we meet Bo Kimball. Yeah, one of the one of the one of the times we see him. First times we see him in the movie, you see him shoot a left-handed shot, and yep. that's in tribute to um, Hank Gathers, who was his teammate at Loyola yeah. Marymount, who passed away from a heart attack. And um, Bo Kimball shot left-handed free throws uh, in the NCAA tournament, and he also shot left-handed free throws in the um, when he made it to the NBA as a tribute to Hank, who who never made it. So um, that's a nice little touch that uh, if you're watching and you see him shoot a lefty, uh, he only does it once in the in the movie. That's what that that's a tribute to. Um, and then we. Uh, Kendall Gill, um, NBA player named Kendall yeah, Gill, who went to the University of Illinois. Never seen him scrimmage. You only ever seen him running in and dunking and standing around. So probably a clause mm-hmm. in there that there was no basketball. And then um, the man himself, Akeem Olajuwon, um, yeah. has a speaking role in the movie, which is um, kind of cool. So yeah, a few a few cameos in there. And I think probably the biggest one with Heaven is a Playground is the the man that supposedly was left out of the movie or chose not to be in the movie. Um, that was Michael Jordan was supposedly signed up oh, really? to be uh, be uh, either the uh, Bo Kimball character, I think, or uh, Hakeem Olajuwon's character. Um, he yeah. was supposed to be one of the breads that, that made it out. And Jordan supposedly withdrew from the movie. Um, the directors tried to sue him for $16 million, mm-hmm. um, saying that, you know, that he was the reason why it was a bit of a flop at the box office. Um, but in return, I think the judge awarded him a $50,000 payout for, for wasting his time sort of thing. So uh, whether or not that story is true, but uh, it's one of the yeah. urban legends, I guess, that goes along with it. So, uh, But, you know, really like, you know, loved Heaven is a Playground because it's it's a movie that shows, you know, you can use basketball as a passport for anything, uh, whether it's trying to change your situation in life, change where you're living, playing for money, or as we see the, the main character, Zach Tellander, the, the lawyer, it, it's his place he goes to get away from it all. And I think, that's what basketball has been for a lot of us. Um, it's been that place we go to when we're feeling good, when we're feeling sad, we need to blow off a bit of steam, um, whether we chuck in a game and watch it, whether we chuck in a movie or we, we head down the court and, and shoot a few free throws. Um, you know, I sort of really got that part of it where he was just using basketball as that vehicle for him to to have a bit of time off for a summer and just immerse himself in the, the ball bouncing and watching it go through the hoop. So, um, yeah, if you can find it on YouTube, um, have a look. Mm. Um, it's good quality on there and, um, yeah, well worth the watch. Yeah, absolutely recommend it. Now, this was a discuss. This was a discussion that you just threw at me at the end of last show, and I thought, yeah, it might work. But I'm thinking there's plenty more here on the bone for us to talk about. Let's let's revisit it again next week because there's just far too much in terms of basketball movies for us to to talk about to leave it just there. And I, like you mentioned last week, maybe we can make it a regular thing each week where we actually review one of these movies each week as well so that's that's we'll, we'll pick one for for next week and, re- and review it and continue this discussion because clear, clearly there's a lot to talk about and also it's popular with our listeners so let's make this an, an ongoing thing here on sbl shoot around sounds good to me you know i'm going to be watching them so happy to do that mm-hmm. 
Sounds good. I'll let you pick one and we'll put it out on our social media channels during the week that we'll review next week and we'll come back to it. Now, let's keep moving. It's been a massive show. Whoever's, I don't know how we would have actually talked about the action on the court if we if we had a season this, this year. Ben, we've had so much to talk about again this week. An incredible interview with James Fitch. It was fantastic to hear from him. An incredible story and an amazing player. Great to hear your insight into how some of the teams were shaping up, how the league might still take some form or another this year in our basketball movie chat was tr- tremendous as well. But it's been a, been a long show. Hopefully you've all stuck with us this far. I'm Chris Pike. I'll sign off for another another show of SBR Shootaround. But as always, I'll leave you in the capable hands of Ben Etridge. Yeah, and again, absolutely honoured to have uh, James Fitch come on and, and talk about his career and, and the journey that he was on and happy to be sharing a little bit of my journey and the, the things that have sort of inspired me along the way. Great to be hearing from some people that I talk to on a regular basis and those that I perhaps haven't spoken to for a while. And I I guess that's the beauty of basketball that is connecting all of us together. And one of the things that I'd like to do um, for next week's show, uh, along with the movies, if you're watching those, is the 90s were the, the halcyon time of the SBL. Basketball was at its peak. Um, I want to know those players that you were prepared to drive two hours to watch. Who are those people that you were handing over your money and if they weren't performing, as James said, you were you were a little bit pissed off that they uh, they weren't stepping up to the plate. So who are those guys that you were you were going to going to watch play and, and were idolising on the uh, on the hardwood um, in those sort of early to late nineties as the as the league was in its formative years. So love to hear you know who they are and, and what they meant to you um, as you were growing up.